Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Today we're starting a series called Natural Faith, and our goal in this series is to the best of our ability to strip away all the artificial additives and get down to what is really life-giving, what is organic, what is natural faith. And let me just admit straight up front, I don't know how possible that is for any of us to fully get there. Because every single one of us comes with some baggage, some experiences, some uh, things that tint the way we view life. But that's going to be the goal. And I wish, actually, in life that natural and organic and real would infect all areas of our society. Do you ever, do you ever have that wish and desire? Uh, I find uh, even in the way messages are presented in our culture, whether it's a, a politician or whether it's the news or whether it's a, a teacher, it seems like everybody everywhere is trying to, for the sake of a, a better word, brand their message and brand their image to us. Uh, few weeks ago, there was a pollster I love to watch every now and then. He, he uh, every now and then has a show on TV where he will bring together a group of 25, 30 people who are, represent as best statistically possible as can be represented all the cultural issues and views in our, in our society. And he asks them questions live. And in this instance, he was asking them questions about the different news agencies. And he'd bring up various news agencies. And it was amazing across the board how, regardless of a person's political leaning, they could say, this news agency colors everything this way, and this news agency covers everything that way, right? I mean, I think we all get that. In fact, it kind of leads me to sometimes want to become a news agnostic. Uh, not sure I can ever get at the real truth through the sound bites of the news. But branding affects us everywhere in life, doesn't it? Let's, let's just have, for, just, just to show you how powerful it is and how much it affects all of us, let's have just a little bit of fun for a moment. I'm going to say a phrase, and I want you to tell me who's associated with that phrase, whether it's a product or a company, okay? Just shout it out. So when you hear breakfast of champions, all right, we all got it. Be all you can be. You're in good hands. And you hear the president of 24 talking to you, don't you? Don't leave home without it. American Express, just do it. All right. Okay, so now, now this is going to get a little bit harder. International brand still, but with a little, little local folklore. Where's the beef? All right, and try this one. Brands that inspire, empower, and indulge. Now, I know that's the holding company's brand, but guys, that's limited brands. <laughs> I won't ask you to raise your hand if you work for limited brands. <laughs> but then there's some of the brands out there that got to make you wonder. I mean, you just, you just kind of wonder, is this really a good idea? Imported from Detroit. Who's that? Chrysler. Is that really going to sell you a car? To compare, compare a place to a third world nation and to tell you that you're going to buy the kind of quality coming from a declining city of that nature, that, is that going to sell you to buy a car? Oh, man. But beyond brands, think about it. 
even words, names, if we have experienced with them phrases, they tend to make us feel something. We'll respond with a positive feeling, a negative feeling, sometimes just with a ho-hum feeling. Sometimes we don't know the word, we don't respond with anything. But, so don't, don't yell this out, don't just, but I want you to pay attention to the feelings you have associated with each one of these names or words. Johnny Manziel. What about Braxton Miller? I bet that feeling changed this last week, didn't it? How about CrossFit? What about multi-level marketing, positive or negative? Coffee. How about politics? What do you feel, positive or negative? Ice cream. Oh, I think I'll just stop there. No. Uh, Hipster. What comes to mind, positive or negative? NSA. When you think of the following, does it positive or negative? Fox News? How about CNN? Do you have an immediate positive or negative reaction to the word Muslim? What about Roman Catholic? Or how about Methodist? What's your reaction to the word Pentecostal? or when you think of Hindu or Buddhism? What response do you have when you hear Quest Community Church? (laughs) Great! Everybody? Yeah, right off the meter? No. What comes to mind when you think of the word Christian? Now, I bet that even among us here today, if we broke ourselves up into groups of ten and asked you to tell what came to mind both feeling and thought-wise when I said the word Christian, I bet we would not get the same ten answers. In fact, I bet if we walked outside of this place to people who don't normally go to church on a Sunday or very rarely go to church, the answers would multiply immensely as to what kind of an answer we would get with that. See, we have a branding problem in American culture today with the word Christian. Because if you ask somebody, are you a Christian, you're going to get many different responses. Some people will gladly say, yes, I am. Christian. Others will respond by saying, what do you mean? Some will respond by saying, yes, but, and they'll go on to qualify that answer with many different ideas. Some will say, no, but, and what they'll qualify with will oftentimes be something like, well, I haven't given up on the idea of God. I may not even have given up on the idea of Jesus, but I'm not so sure about this Christian brand. And some will say, yes, I am, but I'm not like that group over there. And if you go beyond that and you start saying, how did you become a Christian? You're going to even get more answers. For some, you'll get the answer saying, well, I was raised in a tradition where you became a Christian by praying a prayer. And I prayed a prayer one time at a youth camp or at a youth event, and I became a Christian. Some will say, I became a Christian when I was baptized as a baby or an infant, and that's when I became a Christian. Some will say, I went through confirmation and I took a test. I went through confirmation. My dad was the pastor. He wrote the test. It was stinking hard. I hated that test. 
And that's how we became a Christian. For others of you, you feel like you are a Christian because you attended church on Christmas and Easter and weddings and funerals and once in a while for a special occasion. And for others of you, you grew up in a Christian community, and that's the reason you are a Christian. Or some of you will take that title and that brand on because you are generally a moral person and you tend to agree with the Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule and some of the more famous teachings of Jesus. You see, we have all these different views of what Christian is in our culture today. And then some of you were raised in traditions where your brand was the true brand, right? And so I have a lot of wonderful Catholic friends, and when you mention the church with them, they think, well, it's us, of course. Who else would it be? I mean, I don't know about all those other churches, but we are the church, right? And I have Baptist friends and Methodist friends and Presbyterian friends who have that same exact response to that question. In fact, uh, sometimes in those brands, we were taught to believe that the people who were not of that brand, if we ever went to another brand, that we would not go to heaven. We would be, le- we would be un- unsaved instead of saved. You were at least in a lot of those settings raised to believe that your church was the real church. And oftentimes you doubted the fact that other people were real. And maybe you believed that you were the real church because you had special revival meetings and the other churches didn't. Or you had small groups and the other churches, all they got together was on Sunday and that's all they did. And some of you, some of you and some of your friends would say, I was a Christian. I prayed the prayer at one point, or I got baptism at one point, or I used to go to church at one point, but that's, that's in the past. I'm not anymore. And then there's even others of you that would say, well, that's not possible. The was a Christian thing isn't possible because once saved, always saved. Once you get that ticket punched for heaven, you never get it unpunched no matter what you do, right? And then others of you were raised in traditions where there were certain behaviors that made you a was a Christian. And so you'd go out and have a great time on Friday and Saturday night, come home from party, and figure, I did some of those behaviors that made me a was, and so you drove really, really slow because you knew that if you were in a car crash, you were going into hell with a great big band accompanying you through those gates, right? And so you waited until you got home and could kneel at your bedside and repent or go to church and go to an altar call or go to confession so that you could go from a was to an am saved person, right? And the result for you, that if you lived in that kind of a tradition, was that you prayed that prayer over and over again. You, you probably prayed that prayer more than you took ibuprofen for headaches. It was just kind of that prayer pill that you popped on a regular basis. And some of you, if you could be truthful without offending everybody here, you would want to get up and say, heck no, I don't want anything to do with Christian, that term. And if you were really, really safe, you would probably think or want to say something similar to what I'm going to say for you. Too many Christians are judgmental, self-righteous, hypocritical, homophobic, mean-spirited. And I sometimes think that some of them really like the fact that they're in and relish the fact that everybody else is going to hell. And see, even if you don't feel that way, you know people who do feel that way, don't you? For many who claim the brand Christian when they are pushed about it, will answer, yes, I am a Christian, but... And what follows that but is actually many of the same arguments I just gave you that make people say, I want nothing to do with that brand. And we identify with them more than we realize in a lot of respects. Charisma Magazine 
in 20, January 2013 was doing an article on Messianic Jews and, and their clear statement was, we believe in Jesus, but don't call us Christians. And Marcus Mumford, the lead singer of Mumford and Sons uh, band, um, who actually was raised in the Vineyard Church in, in the UK, and, fa- and, and actually his parents are the leaders of the Vineyard movement in the UK right now, was interviewed by Rolling Stone magazine in April of 2013 as to whether he was a Christian, and he said this. He said, I don't really like that word. It comes with so much baggage. So no, I wouldn't call myself a Christian. I think the word just conjures up all these religious images that I don't really like. I have my personal views about the person of Jesus and who he was, but I've kind of separated myself from the culture of Christianity. And there's a guy named Adam Prill. He's a columnist with the Bangor Main Daily News, writes a blog, and he asks this question of us from that Mumford interview. He says, is it Jesus and his claims that Marcus has a problem with, or is his issue with what he perceives as the culture of Christianity? Isn't it true the term Christian has so much baggage in our culture today. We all know it. We all experience. And the reality is the baggage isn't just something that went along with it now in our culture. It was something that was also present in the Bible times. Did you know that the Christian only appears three times in the Bible and it was never used by Christians to describe themselves? It was a derogatory term given them, much like, much like politicians give derogatory terms, much like the Republicans brand the Democrats, uh, want to brand the Democrats as the people who just want to give handouts so they can secure a voting block, and the Democrats want to brand Republicans as the people who hate the poor and don't care for the poor. It was the same type of mean-spirited branding towards Christians in Jesus' day, giving them that term. In fact, the very first instance in which Christian, the Christian is used in the Bible is found in Acts. And the context of it is the church had been expanding rapidly in, in Jerusalem and Judea and great persecution broke out and hundreds and thousands of the Christians fled from that persecution and a bunch of them went up to Antioch, which is in current day Turkey. At that time, it was primarily a Greek-speaking Roman culture area of Gentiles and they started sharing about this Jesus who died and rose again and forgives and heals and hundreds if not thousands of people began to come to faith in Jesus. And word got back to them. There's always a day that them in Jerusalem was some pretty bigwigs in this instance. It was Peter and John and Matthew and all those guys who'd followed Jesus. And it was also, interestingly enough, a guy named James. Not James the, the disciple. It was James the earthly brother of Jesus. And interestingly enough, James throughout most of his life didn't like his brother and didn't agree with his views, didn't believe in him. But by this time, he actually had come to believe in who Jesus was, and he was so respected by the apostles that he became the leader of the Jerusalem church and the leader of the apostolic council. Now, if that isn't proof that Jesus is who he says he is, I don't know. How many of you want to call your brother the Son of God? Let's get real. Especially if you didn't believe in him all the time growing up. How many of you want to do that? That's pretty strong proof of Jesus being who he says he is. Anyway, these guys send Barnabas to Antioch. 
And Barnabas gets up to Antioch and he's overwhelmed. He sees the hundreds and thousands of people and he goes, man, this, this, there's a lot of work to be done here to disciple people and organize them and help them learn what following Jesus means. So we see him take a trip to Tarsus to meet this guy named Saul who later became Paul and wrote most of the New Testament. And Acts 11.25 picks up there and says this, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Again, this wasn't a term given them by the followers, by themselves. This was the guys in Antioch who thought, these guys, these guys are weird believing in a dead guy who they say rose from the dead. And they were kind of saying, those Christians. And actually, we get this even more supported by, of all places, one of the most famous Roman historians, a guy named Tacitus. You may have heard of him. He chronicled one of the most famous histories of the Roman Empire, chronicling uh, a number of emperors. And he's writing this in about 90 A.D., and he writes about Nero. Now, we all know the story of Nero, that Nero decided he wanted to rebuild Rome, so he burned it. Well, people don't like their homes being burned, and they don't like their businesses being burned, so you've got to blame it on somebody, otherwise they're going to revolt against you, right? And Tacitus basically says that's what Nero did, and he writes this. He says, consequently, to get rid of the report, that being the report that Nero burned Rome, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christians didn't call themselves that. It was the outsiders looking in on those Christians that called them that. Tacitus goes on and says, Christus, confusing Jesus' last name for his title, but, you know, they didn't know any better, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procreators, Pontius Pilatus, affirming the accuracy of the biblical account from a secular source. See, these Roman people were looking at this, these people as a knockoff religion. And the word Christus, even though they confused it as his last name, they would have understood meant what? It means Messiah. So what they were saying is those little messiahs, I mean, we would probably say it today like, oh, you guys got a messiah complex. You can save the whole world. I mean, they were just, they were making fun of them. The point is, the outsiders looking for a name to describe these followers of Jesus picked Christian. Christians didn't call them that themselves that them, on their own. Acts 26, we see it also. King Agrippa mocks Paul. He says to him, you think so easily you can make me become one of these little messiahs, one of these Christians? And then 1 Peter 4, 14 through 16, we see Peter using the term, the only other last time it's used, and Peter actually uses it in the context of telling us, when you were insulted for the name of Christ, when you were called a Christian, basically is what he's saying, for the name of Christ and the, as a part of persecution, that's what his lesson for us there, the term in the Bible is actually not defined other than it's used as a derogatory term towards the followers of Jesus. See, the early followers of Jesus didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves something that doesn't have the baggage that we have with it, that doesn't have all the caveats and the redefinition and the many different definitions that we struggle with in Christian today. It, it was very much more defined. It was much more convicting what they called themselves. It was much more demanding, complete. It was crystal clear in the meaning with no room 
for fudging what it looked like and what it meant. They called themselves disciples. We see it even in Acts 11.26 that we quoted earlier. The disciples were called Christians. If you are asked, if they were asked in that day whether they were a follower of Jesus, they said, I am a disciple of Jesus. See, we can hide behind the term Christian all day long. People claim it in political campaigns. They claim it, uh, they go to war over it. They, they, go to pr- they, ha- they conduct protests over it and all sorts of different agendas for, the, for those protests and define it in so many different ways that honestly, if you hear a politician say, I'm a Christian, you have no idea what that means. If you hear an actor or a sports celebrity say, I'm a Christian, you really have no idea what that means. In fact, truth be told, if you hear a preacher say, I'm a Christian, you have no idea what it means until they spend a lot more time defining it in our culture today. But the term disciple, there's no mistaking what that means. It's clear. It's compelling. And I think some of the reasons many people prefer to call ourselves, we call ourselves Christians is because there's this comfort zone with this lack of definition and we actually get a little uncomfortable with the term disciple because it is so clear and compelling as to what it means to be that. A disciple is a follower. Now, it's not a follower like a follower on Twitter. We all have our followers on Twitter and Facebook that we just like to have them there because we don't want to say no to them. Or we like them there because we think they're going to make us laugh every now and then. We like to see what they're going to say or see how they're going to embarrass themselves with a picture, right? It's not, that's not that kind of a follower. This is a follower who's declaring, I have one Lord that I'm going to be a disciple in that day. It was an apprentice to one teacher, one master, to whom they were committed absolutely with the goal of being like their master in every way. And see, we miss that definition easily when we read the Bible because we don't understand what a disciple was. We we don't have that same context. So when we read Jesus saying things like this in Matthew 10, 25, where he says, it is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters, we don't realize that what he's doing is defining exactly what a disciple is for us. It's this relationship with a master where we're willing to be absolutely obedient. We're willing to always be connected to them and their name and their identity so that in every way we become like our master. I mean, the English word for disciple actually is the word from which we get the word methods. It's the disciple is the person who learns the methods, who learns the habits, who learns the instincts, who learns the thought patterns, who learns the way of relating to others and communicating with others and living as their master lives. A disciple, if they're truly a disciple, would be talking to their master, asking questions and responding kind of like this. What would you do if you were me? Well, that's what I'm going to do. What would you believe is right? What do you believe is right and best in this situation? Well, that's what I'm going to believe. How would you treat this person? Well, that's how I'm going to treat them. Where are you going? Well, I'm going to go there too. See, the disciple's default response is, I'm going to say yes before I even know the answer of my master. I'm not waiting for the answer to say yes. I'm going to say yes before I even know the answer. And therefore, when we talk about disciple, it's really an uncomfortable word for us. Christian is a whole lot more comfortable, even with all the baggage tied to it in our culture today. Many in America 
hide behind Christian, but the text and the way that early Christians define themselves begs us to answer a really, really important question. Are you a Christian or are you a disciple? Are you a disciple of Jesus, this one master who everything in your life is intended to be like him, that your answer is yes before you even know the answer because you're committed to being that way? Or are you just a Christian? And Jesus actually goes on to describe for us even more specifically what this is in his last few hours before his death. We see this story where Jesus is at dinner with his disciples. It's after, uh, just minutes after Judas has left the room. It's, it's literally just minutes before Jesus is going to leave and take a walk and be arrested. It's literally just hours before he's nailed to the cross. And, and Jesus leans over to his disciples and says something very clear, gives them very specific marching orders if they're going to follow him. And frankly, if we as Christians would, have, would follow these marching orders all throughout history. We would have never had the Crusades. We would have probably never had World War I, World War II. The Civil War would have been a mute issue because slavery would have been done with well over a millennium ago. Uh, oppressive communism in Russia would have never risen up because there wouldn't have been room for it, and the riots in Ferguson wouldn't be happening today. And Jesus begins his last words to his disciples saying this <clears throat> in John thirteen thirty three. He says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so do I tell you now. Where I'm going, you cannot come. He's telling them these are some of his last most important words. And the disciples' reaction probably is, What do you mean, Jesus, we can't go with you? We've always gone with you everywhere. And then it probably denigrated, knowing how business and family relationships work, it probably denigrated into Peter going, uh, John doesn't get to go with you, right? You mean all of us. And James probably looking at Matthew going, Matthew doesn't get it right. We know how that works. Verse 34, he goes on and says, A new, something unusual, something you haven't thought of before. A new command I give you. Love one another. And the disciples are going, Jesus, what? You've told us that all along. What's new about that? We've heard that. That's what you've been teaching all along. But then he gives the kicker. He says, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He's describing a disciple. As I have loved you, your personal experience of me loving you and what you've seen me model before you in the way I've loved other people, that's how I want you to love others. Jesus is basically saying to the disciples, hey guys, you remember, you remember that kind of love? You remember we were walking through Samaria, Samaria that one time? You know, kind of gang territory, and I was really tired, and I sat down by the well, and, and I was tired, and I wanted you guys to go into town and get me something to eat, and I was just too tired to walk there. And you guys weren't sure you wanted to leave me there by myself in the middle of enemy gang territory? but I said go anyway and, and, and do you remember when you came back and, and you, you just all looked at me really puzzled and your jaws dropped to your, to your feet and, and as you saw me talking with this Samaritan woman this, this woman I, I shouldn't be talking to a woman anyway but I was a Samaritan certainly not and certainly not a woman of ill repute that kind of love that kind of love is what I want you to love each other with you remember that? 
And he probably went on and said, you remember, you remember that love, Matthew, that, 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 that I showed you with the day I called you? You remember that day you were sitting at your tax collector's booth and all, all these guys who you now call friends just said, don't talk to that traitorous tax collector, that, that awful person. And Jesus probably smirks and smiles at Matthew and, and says, yeah, and I still came up to you when no one else would believe in you, when everybody else was rejecting you, when everybody else, all they wanted to do was spit on you. I came up to you and I not only treated you kindly and spoke to you, but I invited you to join me in this grand mission and make a difference. That's the kind of love I want you to love each other with. And do you remember those times, guys, when, when you were all debating over who was, the, who was the most important and who was the most powerful and who was going to be at my right and who was going to be at my left? And do you remember those times when you all were thinking about abandoning me and yet I still loved you and was patient with you and pursued you and never rejected you, kept you as my close friends, kept you as my close leaders for this new movement that I'm creating. That's the kind of love I have for you. Just as I have loved you, so you are to love others. And then Jesus goes on and says this, by this, by this kind of love, not by our theological arguments, not by how much we know, not by how convincing we can be. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Jesus' definition of disciple takes that term of Christian in our culture and makes it a much smaller group. Are you a Christian or are you a disciple? You see, it's not whether you were baptized as an infant. It's not what church you went to. It's not whether you graduated from catechism and were confirmed. It's not what, whether you went to church on Christmas and Easter and several other special days or Christian camp. It's not whether you learned a certain amount of information about theology and all sorts of stuff. It's not whether you cleaned up your act morally better than other people or not. Or it's not even whether you call yourself a Christian or not. Natural, organic, Faith with no additives for Jesus is very clear and very simple. Are you a disciple? Do you love others like I, Jesus, loved you and modeled how I love others before you? And Acts goes on to describe the power of that kind of community. Not a pushy, not a judgmental community, but a community so full of radical generosity in every way you can think of as far as relationship, as far as giving, as far as giving of their time, and going the second, third, and fourth mile with people so that, so that they had so much so that their friends who were still not sure about this whole dead guy come to life thing, when they rubbed up against this community... They thought, I'm not so sure about this Jesus thing yet, but I want to be a part of friends like that. And truth be told, I want to be a friend to others like that as well. And Acts goes on to say that people were added to the church daily, discovering natural, powerful, real faith. And that's really the vision behind what we talk about when we... When we brand it this way at Quest, living life as friends with faith, inviting people into relationships with us, not our perfection. My gosh, we can never be that. 
but, and, but, but inviting people into relationship and us showing so much patience, so much forgiveness time and time and time again and love and patience and pursuit and perseverance in relationships, not giving up on them and people coming to the edges of our community and seeing that and going, I, I don't know yet about this Jesus thing, but I really want one of my kids to marry one of their kids because I know at least they will be loved in all of their imperfection well. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that the beautiful image that God is giving us and inviting us to? Can you imagine being a part of that kind of fun, living life, a community enjoying, doing radical, enduring, persevering acts of outrageous generosity in our love, forgiving others when others would just nail them and leave them? And staying and patiently, not just staying with, but patiently pursuing relationship with people, even when they disappoint us or betray us over and over and over again. And as a result, seeing some people that other people give up on finding freedom and transformation and change, and some won't. Some won't. See, the point is not that we, we love because we get something out of it. The point is we love because we want to be like our Master. We want to love like He loved. Can you imagine the powerful change that that would bring in your life, in your family's life, in the life of our community if we just did that one thing? Forget all the other things that we need to know about the Bible, all the other great wisdom about so many areas. If we didn't know anything about the rest of those and we just did this, it would change our world. And it leaves us with Jesus' question. Are you a Christian, and Paul's question, are you a Christian or are you a disciple? Today we get to celebrate baptism. In that we celebrate people declaring their faith to be a disciple. Now, please don't hear me. I'm okay if we call ourselves Christian. That's not the point of today's message. The point of today's message is to not get us to stop using that term. It's fine if we want to use that term. It's okay to, to own that, even, to, even with all of the baggage. But the commitment being made in baptism is a commitment of a disciple, to be a disciple. It is saying through all the symbolism of it, I am going to follow my master, Jesus. I'm going to lay down my life, the symbolism of, of laying down in the water and accept his love. And, and I'm going to be in a position where I'm going to solely and always say yes to the life that he wants me to live as we come back up out of the water. It's this surrender to God knowing, knowing that we have no ability on our own to ever live that way, that we need a master to follow. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's natural, organic faith. And this is much better than any definition our culture gives to Christian. This is a disciple. This is how the world has changed. This is how the Roman Empire was toppled without ever lifting a sword. Because people crept to the edges of a community like that and said, I want to be part of that. I know they're all messed up. I know they're imperfect. I know they've got all sorts of baggage. But I love the way they love and care for each other. Today, if you're a person here and you've called yourself a Christian most of your life and you've realized as we've been talking about this that I'm a Christian but I'm not a disciple, I want to invite you to pursue that decision. Make it today or at least engage in the process of pursuing that decision. 
Calling yourself a Christian doesn't make yourself one. Going to church doesn't make yourself one. Are you a disciple? And you can simply do that in a very simple way today. As we continue worship, as we celebrate baptisms, you can just speak out in your own words to God saying, Yes, I'm giving you my yes. I'm going to follow you. And I know, I know that can feel like a really big decision. Let me say this. It certainly is an important decision. But it's not this huge step. It's not this huge decision. You just get to say, yes, I'm going to be a disciple. I'm going to follow you from where I'm at. Not from where I think I should be. Not from where I wish I should be. Not from where I've even heard some people in the church Christian brand tell me I have to be before I can be. I'm just going to start following from right here. And I'm going to be your disciple. And I'm going to let you lead me in knowing what it means to become like you. That's the invitation. Are you a Christian? Are you a disciple? I want to invite you to pray that prayer today. And we're going to baptize today. Who do we have? We have Jared. And Jared is my son. I'm so excited. He's been on this journey. And, uh, you know, believing pretty much for a while, but never really being all both feet in. And he's just saying, he just came to us and said, I want to be baptized because I want to have both feet in. I want to take that step. And that's really what the step of being a disciple is. And we have Vince as well. And it's a wonderful story. And Uh, with him as well. So we're going to go back and baptize in a moment. And let me just pray for you. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for these two faith decisions to take a step to declare that I am a follower. I am a disciple. And Lord, I pray that right now as we baptize, you would meet them by the power of your Holy Spirit would rest upon them in this whole time. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here. I pray that you would help us shed the baggage of all the different things culture says are Christian and that you would help us learn to be disciples. That we would love like you love. And Lord, for those here today who have never made that declaration, I pray that you would draw them, that you would become very real to them and that you would lead them in this process of becoming a disciple. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to baptize them. And Jeremy, come on up so everybody sees who you are. Um, I'm going to be in the tank. So actually, Jeremy's going to lead the doorway tour. If you're here visiting and want to get the doorway tour, he's going to lead it afterwards. And if you are here today and you are saying, I'm all in, I'm ready to make that decision, come talk to Jeremy. Uh, You can either be baptized today or we can baptize you the next time we do it on December 14th. We're going to have a big celebration as well. And uh, we'd be happy to talk with you through that. And we want your decision to be Real, So we don't want to put too much pressure, but we want you to make a real decision. So if you're ready to do that, talk to Jeremy today. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.